did. Here we come, audience, with some music for you. sales and it's the tuesday edition here on Eurofolk radio our really really wonderful little platform we're on you know we can do these two-hour sessions with no interruptions and thank you i'm one to hiccup here thank you mr paul english uh today's date stamp is the 8th 2822 that's very significant to me uh because tomorrow the 9th is the uh, 12th year commemoration is probably the better word of that accident uh, which I had in Argentina and uh, it's very almost still too fresh in my mind anyway so this time of year rolls around I uh, try and learn the lessons and recognize that and uh, give proper thanks and all that and uh, as I've told some of you maybe new around here don't know this but uh, I think the only reason I lived through that whole thing was to be able to deliver this message and that's part of the reason that I attack this with such zeal and commitment uh, is quite frankly I think that's the only reason that I'm here uh, so we continue to do that, attack it with zeal and commitment, and uh, another day in the life and the page in that project here at uh, the Radio Ranch. So uh, good deal. Welcome to you. Uh, we uh, had a good show yesterday. I thought, thought a lot about that yesterday after the program, and uh, I appreciate Dan asking the question about the background on John and Glenn. Uh, these two guys who don't talk about them enough, uh, of course, so we've got all of our own topical and timely things to talk about, but uh, I would never, never, never have been able to do what I've accomplished had it not been for the hard work, dedication, and commitment of those two guys, particularly John Benson, uh, not to sideline or marginalize Glenn in any respect. Um, because he, he certainly was another real big catalyst or piece of the puzzle that without him, John's work would probably, as I've said, never even been exposed, honestly. And so it's this very unusual, elongated combination of events and circumstances uh, where we find ourselves today with the ultimate answer here. And it is the answer, okay? It is untying the Gordian knot the way it was tied. And uh, other people have hacked at it, maybe even had a little success with that but of some sort, but uh, not the clean, clear-cut success that we've been able to uh, compile for going on 11 years now here next month. It'll be 11 years uh, in March when I got my first shot on uh, on RBN, actually, so many years ago. Pardon me for the sniffles. I'm still undergoing the backside of this Omicron crap um, brought to us by these sorry bastards. God, they are the sorriest satanic pieces of crap. So uh, anyway, that, uh, that rolls forward. And uh, as luck has it here in the 11th year of that endeavor, um, 
we come back around and I'll be on RBN tonight uh, with Tom D. And uh, so at the John Statmiller National Intelligence Report slot and uh, don't know, I guess we'll probably take calls and no telling what we'll talk about. It didn't have anything planned and we've gotten most of the groundwork and the background work out of the way here. And uh, I get occasionally I get some emails from folks, RBN listeners and saying boy i sure wish tom would give you a regular slot over there and uh, i don't know what uh, we he and i have not totally discussed it in any depth and uh, i don't know what his plans are i think he's got his hands full uh, and his plate full just trying to clean up the mess that uh, john statmiller left quite frankly and um so uh, and all the ongoing complications because of that situation or those situations probably plurals better and uh, i can understand uh, that him having not a lot of experience in that area per se uh that it uh, it well leaves you chasing your tail at times so anyway uh looking forward to being with tom again tonight and of course next week we're going to be over there on mike adams new uh new uh, radio network bright on radio uh with uh, jim white and i wanted to thank uh i wanted to thank jeff jeff uh, evidently got the two um the two uh the initial one with gary and his flathead group there uh and uh, the follow-up one a week later with questions and answers uh thank you jeff whatever magic wand you were able to do you finally got those things up on a bit shoot it appears um and it says with jim white and and uh jim wasn't there but that's okay no no bad on that jeff uh but uh, thank you for taking the effort and and making the effort to get those up there we'll see uh what uh, what kind of response we get from that and uh the more little cubby holes we can get our information posted on, the more people are looking for answers. We know that for sure and uh, feel very good about that. Um, so uh, did somebody want to say something there? It sounds like a, a mute's open, the mic's open. Yeah, this is Gary. Hey, Gary. Good. I was hoping you were with us. How did the uh, uh, how did the affidavit party go last night? Well, it turned into a question and answer party for one. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> throw questions at me right and left and upside down i mean it was uh quite the experience okay well now listen let me ask let me interrupt you right there were you able to field all of them well yeah i've been listening to you long enough and learning enough about this information it was easy it's so good to hear man and i really my tip my hat to you i know that it takes some work and i know you've been very dedicated and consistent and obviously it's paid off and and that is just fantastic man congratulations i'm really proud of you well we got seven people last night filed affidavits okay good deal sound great but hey i'm happy if one of them has had a file uh, i mean that's a fantastic start man really uh laura lied did she laura lee did she get hers filed yep she's okay. one of the ones husband and uh, a couple other man and wife teams and it a uh, couple single people it just it, it really went well that's good did jim white show up by any chance no, he did not show up. Okay. Okay, we well, probably had something else to do, or he, I know he has his program around that time, too. Yeah, he's just busy, busy, busy. Yeah, yeah, I know so. he is. I know he is. Everybody is these days. It seems like there's so many complications in all of our lives. 
Yeah, I think Jim will file. Uh, just uh, oh, he told me the other day he was ready to. That's yeah, why I so. suggested. I remember you told me that was going on. I said we well, can drop by over there at the Eagle Club uh, on Monday, and uh, Gary's got to go with this, which I think is a great idea. I wish we could get enough things going, like what Jeff's working on today. These groups uh, around they get exposed to this, and they get up to a point where they're ready to, and then you have a, I think, framing it in a quote unquote party uh, where everybody does it together is even better camaraderie and uh, commitment to each other, and you know who the other. Folks Folks are in your area that are with you in this endeavor, and I think that's all a very positive uh, combination mixture, really. Yeah, the people that were there last night, uh, there, there was quite a few more people there than actually filed their affidavits. But uh, yeah, it's just going to take them a little more time. Yeah, you can't push people, you know. That's the one thing I've learned here is it's got to be voluntary, and somebody can't volunteer to do it and volunteer out of the system until they get themselves at a point in their mind where they're comfortable enough to move forward, and that's really the point where they can become belligerent claimants, you know. And I think those two are, are, are kind of go hand in hand in a matter in, in many respects, and, uh, and I totally understand it, and that's why I never try and force people. I can urge you. Uh, I can try and coerce you, uh, you know, but it ultimately is your decision. And until somebody's really comfortable with having their arms around the information, uh, I can understand why they wouldn't. So, you know, it's uh, it's tough. I'd love to get up there and beat y'all with a bullwhip, you know, and herd y'all into the affidavit corral. But that's not my spot. And I don't think that that's the way this is supposed to be done. It's got well, to, you've got it's got to be voluntary. It's such a critical, critical element. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Gary. Well, I'm just saying you got to overcome 30, 40, 50 years of uh, miseducation. Conditioning. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest hurdle right there. Is sure that, uh, is. you got to give them the background of how this was done, why it was done, how they're doing it. Um, and as I've come to understand this through the years, and I get we get that uh, that comment a lot. But they're so powerful, you know. They're just well, the only power they've got is what you give them through this fraud. Okay, and well, people and have a real hard time getting over that. I think we're seeing that up with the trucker strike in Canada. I'm, I'm ashamed that Canada had to lead the way and not America on this deal. Well, amen. It may be better in the sense that Canada's a little smaller country in some respects. Uh, but, boy, what's going on up there is so telling, man. The cops coming and seizing fuel. When people are trying yeah. to, I mean, where's the law on that? You know, I hear the the cops that don't care about the robberies and everything else, and here they're coming out and seizing the fuel, so these families uh, will freeze, and they're arresting people that try and bring them food and water and stuff. I mean, come on, okay. You talk about dystopian. Let's use the word dystopian where it really applies, which is up there around Ottawa right now and other places. There's a situation somewhere up there by where you live. Where's the? How far is that main crossing in Montana away from where you guys are? About three hour drive. Okay, to the east, right? Yes, and at the border east of us. People don't realize that Montana is the fourth largest state in the union. They just don't have any concept. Let me give you an idea. When I hit the Wyoming-Montana border for my coming home from Indiana or going to it, when I hit the border, I still got 600 miles to go to get to 
Kalispell. Wow. And, yeah. And that's it's, Wyoming on the south side, uh, right? That's right. When I hit the Montana-Wyoming border, I've got 600 miles to go to get to Kalispell, Montana. And what's to the east? Uh, just get my geography right here. Uh, North and South Dakota? Yes. Okay, they yep. border on the east. Yeah. Right. And then uh, on the west is uh, a little bit of Idaho and Oregon and Washington. 600 miles is a long way, man. It's only like 300 miles from Florida to Atlanta. That's double what that I, that was. Um, that's a long way. I know. That's what I mean. People just don't have a concept of how big the state Montana really is. Like I said, it's the fourth largest state in the union. Right. And our population is only one mi- right at 1,100,000. I'll be darned. In the well, yeah, you, got a, you got a room for a lot of Californians, I guess. And or- they, they can or- stay. Oreganders. <laughs> We don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're like-minded, they might be all right. But some of those wackos, man, let them stay out there and and uh, fry in their own stew, so to speak. They deserve every minute of it. This whole thing is really, really unraveling quickly. And uh, we're getting to a point where evidently, and somebody sent me, I think it was Scott, sent me some uh, thing on Telegram this morning about the the implosion, the imminent implosion of the economy. And I think that's one of the reasons they've really got this pressure on Russia to start this war over there. As Gerald Salente says, when all else fails, they take you to war. That traditionally has been where they've been able to pull their grits out of the fire after they've soaked all these countries and got everything in debt up to their necks and then they're about to be exposed because when that happens, everybody or a lot more people People can see what's going on and who's doing it and so they try and of course deflect and they start a war over there and that gives them the ability to print more money and give it to their buddies and you know all the stuff that goes on uh the distraction yep. element etc and i think that's really the main reason not that they haven't wanted to poke putin's been a real thorn in their side for a number of years now but uh it's this point that they're about ready to lose the world reserve currency status and the dollar's about ready to go dot belly up and the riots that are gonna uh ensue around uh, cities in the uh, u.s etc uh and with everything else going on in these uh, worldwide uprisings and awakenings they just can't handle it i, I bet you they're really panicked right now well, Roger, you know, if you look at, uh, I think one thing that's really exposing with this trucker strike up there is the difference in treatment that the truckers are getting versus what Antifa and oh, of course. Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. And, big time, big time I mean, difference. These guys up there, they're not busting windows and setting fire and going in and snatching and grabbing products and rioting and all that. And this police just stood back and did nothing. That's right, and here they're going out and stealing their fuel. I saw. Their- I saw. I think it was on War Room, maybe with the Owen Stroyer. I was watching last night, and there was a uh, some Jew columnist at one of the big newspapers up there, and he was talking so negatively about the truckers. And then they went over and pulled one of his articles a couple of years ago from the Black Lives Matters thing, and talking about oh, the protesters deserve to be heard and all this stuff. And they got them sitting there side by side. Okay, and uh, what a juxtaposition and what an exposure on their hypocrisy. I I mean, you know, that's the strongest word Jesus ever had for them was hypocrites. 
Okay, and boy, are they being exposed all over the place. Uh, they've got to be real concerned. And uh, so what we can do is hopefully get a little traction under this message and throw a few more affidavits at them in mass and put a little more heat on them from our side. You know, I've often thought that that maybe our role that we're going to play here is uh, like Wiley Coyote, you know, when he's right on the edge of the cliff and Roadrunner comes up and just pokes him with one finger and knocks him over uh, I'm, I think that that may be the role we play don't know of course we'll see it as, as it unfolds but it sure would be a great joy for me and for many of us to participate in the downfall of Edom Obadiah Obadiah, if you're not familiar with it, it's the shortest book in the Bible. It's about one and a half pages. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, go over there and read Obadiah, the downfall of Edom. Uh, and, of course, we can go back to Revelation in the New Testament. And the way it starts, Babylon, O Babylon, the great has fallen in an hour. Okay, I've always, that has always titillated me since the first time I ever saw John closing a, a weekend seminar with that little series of information out of revelation 18 and i've always thought what what could cause an hour is this an hour in biblical terms is this an hour in our terms does it have to be a stock market deal uh what what could be the elements to babylon oh babylon the great has fallen in an hour and you know you can go earlier there in revelation and i often refer to these guys as as the revelation two and three niners uh everyone here i'm pretty sure is familiar with those verses uh those are in a red letter bible attributed to jesus i mean jesus knew who these bastards were two thousand years ago the jews who say they are jews and are not they are the synagogue of satan they lie um, i mean that has got it nailed right there and he had that nailed two thousand years ago that tightly okay so the rest of that book that follows you get especially up to that critical verse in 18 uh fallen in an hour so uh just keep waiting just keep waiting to see what uh, is going to be the trigger but you can see they're on thin ice right now okay and of course that makes them extremely dangerous because they got everything at stake now and that means they'll pull anything to try and pull themselves out of the fire they won't be able to but the worst that they pile on from their side on whatever things they've got planned or going to carry out it's just the worst it means for them down the line because they don't win here okay it ain't gonna be pretty it may not be fun for a lot of us to go through but they don't win here they can't they don't have the numbers that we do and uh, that's the solace we've got yeah somebody's got a mic open you want to say something yeah, Roger, it's Mark. I, hey, Mark. I need a I need a history lesson here. Okay. Uh, how did a Cuban love child end up being the uh, premier of Canada? Uh, it's a, a little computer uh, uh, thing, and a guy named Soros. Oh yeah. Okay, so. He, they flipped the elections up there as well. Yeah, they just had one not to a snap election or something a while ago, and it's obviously the same thing. That computer company, it starts with a C, and I just can't think of the name right here at the tip of my tongue. Anybody got the name of that? Uh, uh, the Roger, yes. It's Dominion. Dominion. It's computer company. That's it. That's it. And they're headquartered. Guess where? 
in Canada. In yeah, Mark, their headquarters is up there, and, and, and obviously Soros is pulling the strings. And just like uh, they did the same thing with Biden, you know, he's been he's been uh, the love child has been groomed for many years for this. Um, what you know? He doesn't look like he's ever stood a day in the sun. Yeah, I'm sure he. No, he hadn't. He had all that black face on all that time. You know. Uh, <clears throat> I think one of the cool things that China and Russia is doing uh, to counter all this crap in the Ukraine, and China still wanting to beat the drum on Taiwan, of course, is uh, they've gone in and cut deals with Venezuela, Cuba, and one of the other Central American countries about putting missiles and stuff down there. Okay, and so the U.S. and that and that price creep. We got caught lying last week by that reporter. He's up there. Oh, well, the U.S. will take all kinds of retaliatory, blah 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 measures, and uh, but they 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 can stick their crap right there on the Ukraine and and tout Putin, but they can't put their stuff in our hemisphere. You know the uh, what do they call that? The Monroe Doctrine. They like to uh, go back and fall back on well these guys are losing all over the place they're losing every part of the world there yeah, this is very interesting i guess we got the winter olympics going on right now it's not being covered or talked about in the u.s or at all from what i hear and of course it appears that what china has done has broken from the new world order and they've gone back and want their people having three children uh they don't want any homosexuality and this has got soros and them all been out of shape but you know we've talked about and people like mark that are new around here have never heard this i'm sure but there's a book you can find it on the internet and it was written in the 30s about china and it was written by a guy named townsend i believe is his name and he was a diplomat he was the ambassador to china twice over there and came from a family of diplomats with a diplomatic uh, heritage and he wrote this book and it's called ways that are dark ways that are dark and you got to realize as i said it was written in the 30s and um this is before the chinese took over Okay, and this was him and the other Anglo uh, folks. You know, when you get into a country like that, and many of you have not lived in a foreign country, most of you probably haven't. And when you get into that situation, you really peer group up with with your people that speak your language from your culture. You know, you just gravitate to those people. So his view in writing that book was not only from two tours of being the ambassador to China, but also from the other stories of the English embassy and all, uh, some of the other uh, English-speaking and, and, and white-oriented country embassies at the time with the stories about uh, China and its culture. And uh, it is a really insightful read. Uh, I remember that was reprinted in the 90s, late 90s, by the Barnes Review. And I remember hearing Tom Valentine talk about it. I was uh, fascinated by it. I was well aware of China at that time. Went ahead and purchased the book and uh, read it. 
and uh, um, our friend Harvey, when I was talking about it here a couple of years ago, Harvey went and secured it and read it. And it is a real, real deep dive into China, their culture, how they do things, their history. And this little deal they've pulled on the New World Order is absolutely right up their alley, man. They're very Sun Tzu-ish, and uh, they have evidently broken from them. Now, it's also interesting that um, I remember the – I was trying to think who's the guy that wrote uh, 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 Saul Alinsky, I think, Rules for Radicals. He was uh, quoted at some sort of an art I read it a while back in some article or a quip or something, and he was at some kind of an opening of an art exhibit of something, and there was some art there. Somebody mentioned something about China, and his response was very interesting and insightful, and he said that the one of the founders of Goldman Sachs, don't know which one, their daughter was the one that was over there in the late 20s with Mao even in the early, early days of the communist uh, uh, formation over in China. So these creeps have been involved with China since the inception. And also, there was a couple of these uh, Jews, uh, the Revelation 2 and 3 Niners, that were on the Communist Central Committee. Uh, They were pretty elderly at the time, a few years back. Uh, But those guys were still on the Communist Central Committee. They were the only people on there that weren't Chinese. Okay, And so now the Chinese have soaked and used the Jews to build themselves up to where they are, whether that's good or bad, because they're not in any kind of rose garden either economically. Uh, But they've kind of, it appears, broken away from the regime and uh, caused a real schism with with the international uh, Jewry and the New World Order guys. So it's quite interesting, all these geopolitical situations that are building up and taking place. I mean, we're living it where it is right in front of our eyes on a day-to-day basis okay so i would encourage you if you want to find out a bit about china and get a tremendous insight to go look that book up on the internet ways that are dark by townsend and uh and put a little time into reading it it's got some very very interesting stuff in there and the guy he's not he's a dry writer but he's got a very very witty sense of humor and i can remember sitting on my front porch up in the georgia mountains reading it and there would be passages where i just break out into belly laughter uh because of the way he put things it's quite an insightful book and the other thing that's very relevant i think is that it was greatly panned by the establishment at the time See, they knew in the 30s the plans they had for China down the road. And here comes this book that's very damning to the Chinese culture. They know they want to promote it and use it in whatever their plans are down the road. So they panned this book, and it's quite insightful. So uh, I wanted to be sure and uh, mention that today. Somebody was going to say something right there. You got something to to add? Hey, Gary. Yeah, I've got that book. And... uh you know, the one thing that really stands out about that book is the fact that the Chinese believe they're better than everyone else in the world. They really do, especially the Han Chinese. That's the predominant right. ethnic group over there. They call them the Han, I believe. Exactly. And then I was stationed for three years in Japan, and I want to tell you that the Japanese have the same attitude. Yes, and boy, they don't like each other, those two. No, they don't, but they do have, the Japanese do have the same attitude. Uh They do believe they're better, especially better than the white people. 
Huh. So just throw that that in there. No one. Yeah, I got to be with the, our each unit has a Japanese interpreter that's assigned to the units. Yes. And I got to be good friends with our Japanese interpreter. I mean, we went skiing and did a lot of stuff together. And you know, you know how friends will talk. And sooner or later, different stuff starts to come out. And that's one thing that he told me was that their society believes they're better than everybody else. And it's the same thing, according to that book, The Ways That Are Dark, about the Chinese. Yeah, they've got a lot of problems with the the Han Chinese with all those. I think there's something like 28 different ethnicities in, in greater China. The Tibetans, the Uyghurs, uh, uh, all these different right. ethnicities. But it's predominantly Han, and they're super racist, evidently. They're the uh, ruling class, too. Yes. China is... China's system is more like India's, where you ha- actually have a caste system. Yes, yes, I think that's probably true. So, anyway, that's my two cents. I thought I'd add it in. All right, Gary, and thanks again for your hard work up there. Did y'all? Did, what about the other people that were there? Were they? They were just kind of observing and asking questions and getting in on the camaraderie and uh, uh, getting lukewarm about all of this. Well, they're not lukewarm. I think they're a little more than lukewarm, but they're uh, they're just not quite ready to pull that plug yet. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Well, uh, what uh, maybe is as a, between Jim and whatever effect we've had up there, uh, it's, if you guys, are too bad you can't put a group together of people that have filed, or at least you've got some sort of a record of who's got something on file to know who's uh, uh, of a like mind and maybe can move forward. So who's W? Dub, is that W wanting to say something here? Hey, hello. Hey, hello. Okay. Uh, uh, which W are you referring to? I don't know. There's a W here on my screen from Jitsi. So usually Jitsi identifies you when you sign in. Uh, obviously, you got your mute off. Can, would you like to add something or has, have a question? It, it was. It's not me that's doing the background noise, but yes, I did have a question. Okay, let's see if we can get whoever's got the background noise on. And I know there's new folks that are joining us, and I know there you go. Thank you oh, very much. There you go. My well, apologies. Yeah, I'm new to this thing. Sorry for that. That's okay. We understand totally. Come back in a minute. We'd love to find out who you are and whatnot. W, go ahead, man. Uh, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm new to all this. This is my first time on the call. And uh, and what's your name, if I'm you don't mind, if I ask? Lacey. Lacey? With a W. Wacy. Oh, Wacy. Okay, that's unusual. Hey, Wacy. Um, so I am planning to file all my paperwork. Good man. And I uh, had a question as far as I'm looking at the DS-82. Correct, renewal. And uh, so I, I have a book right now, and I'm on there, the state gov's website, it's uh, one of the FAQs is if you have a passport book, can you use the DSA to get a passport card? And it says yes, or if you're eligible, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I guess that's what I'm planning to do is send in my book just to get a card. Mm-hmm. And my question is, does that at all change the status on my book when I get it back? No, it does not. And here's the reason why. And I'm glad you asked the question. Okay. We're talking, and you get into the legal field here, there's a descriptor called your legal personality. 
okay? And that's where you get your rights and owe your duties and all that kind of stuff, okay? And when you did this originally, because you didn't know when you filed for your original with a DS-11 and got your book, when how old is it, by the way? How much? How many years have you got left on it, Wacy? Um, I think I have five years left on it. Okay, well, it's okay. You can you can do it at any time because what you're doing now is you're refiling and submitting an application for a different uh, vehicle, which is the passport card, I would assume. You don't really need to pay for another book unless you just want to have one. Um, and uh, you're, But you're doing it under a different legal personality, okay? Because you okay. didn't file an affidavit with the first one because you didn't know about this stuff. Now you do, and now you're submitting it, and you're in a totally different legal personality. Now you're getting your rights from God, and that's who you owe your duties to. And so you'll have two passports that are both active at the same time uh, concordantly. Is that the word? Uh, 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 I can't think of the when things are running together. Concurrently? There. Yeah, concurrently. Thank you. Uh, that are both good. And should you plan or need to travel internationally, uh, you can use your book because you can't use the card for that, but you'll have the card for domestic ID. Okay. Um, and one more question on that is um, what – what is your opinion on the SSN on the DS eighty two? Yeah, don't worry about the SSN. It's not a, uh, a an access to the system. Uh, that's Patriot so, mythology. So put yeah, put it on there. You can use it. In fact, I had a situation the other day with a guy out of Ohio that called in here last week, Brian, and uh, uh, I had a chance and opportunity to talk to him on the side because of his unique situation, and it was about his son. And this was the problem is they couldn't go get a state ID. His son's never had a social security number. Okay. Because he didn't have a social security number, Ohio would not let him get a state issued ID. And without a picture ID, he couldn't, uh, uh, he couldn't apply for a passport. Okay. Uh, there may have been some other complications there. That's basically the story. And so uh, we had a conversation. I said, first thing let's do is have him file his affidavit cold without a passport application, which I also advise you to do too, Wacy. okay? And uh, you do that cold because this is a reason. We've had a couple of instances where they refused to process the passport application because of whatever reasons. And if they have that as your only affidavit and they refuse to process for whatever reasons the passport application, then your affidavit doesn't get filed. Okay, And so if you would have put one of these in cold with just a cover letter to administrative records ahead of time, that they can't refuse. And now because it's in your administrative file, at least theoretically, your status should be changed and it takes the legs out of their rejection of your passport application. Okay. So that's what I advised him to do was to have his son submit an affidavit first, okay, then go apply for a Social Security number, but now he can do it as a U.S. national and not a citizen of the United States. So he opens his account as a U.S. national. Now he's got the Social Security number. Now he can go get an ID from the state of Ohio and complete the whole process, and he's all legal, okay, and lawful. So I was pretty pleased the way that uh, developed and it came together. And uh, but don't worry about the Social Security number. They're they're requiring it now, as of a couple of years ago, Wacy. 
and the reason that passed it took effect in january 1st maybe three years ago i want to think 2019 2018 maybe maybe four uh but the reason for that was uh, they passed a little law there for the uh, individuals representing satan uh, and they said if you've got over 50k in collections, I, I think that's very important to emphasize in collections, then they could not only reject your application, but they could also revoke any active passports you've got open. And I read that they revoked 250,000 people's passports around the world that had left the country trying to evade uh, the IRS. Okay. Um, and that's collection specific. That's in collections, not just that they've accused you of. It's got to go through the process and get in collections. All right. I remember that from the legislation because it's real important, and I was a little more aware of it than most. The other thing that they use and require the SSN for is uh, in case you've uh, got any child support in arrears, which is something okay. that everybody should take care of, you know, honestly. Uh, got a guy down here in Quito that his passport expired. He tried to go to the embassy, and uh, they said, we'll give you a one-way passport. But he uh, he fathered some children and then shirked on his responsibilities and left the country, and he uh, is passportless now. Okay. Well, I've got an unrelated question, but I'm happy okay. to let me ask you. Let me that. ask you a question, if I could, if you hold yours for a second. Whereabouts in the yes, country sir. are you? Texas. Oh, good. And how'd you find us? Um, I'm trying to remember initially. Um, I know I've just listened to all your, uh, or a lot of the shows on the Republic Broadcasting. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be on there tonight again with Tom, actually. I listened to the all the ones with John. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor old John. And I followed up with John, and I, I was trying to get some traction with him. But Roger, we can't have there won't we can't get three hundred million people to change their status. I said John doesn't take three hundred million, man. I mean, come on, you know they fell three percent of the people wanted to fight against King George, and he never got it. You know, it had all the elements he was looking for, but he just never could get over the hurdle of how important this is and the fact that it doesn't take. A whole bunch it just takes a real small committed uh minority and the you know we start filing these things and they start receiving them in you know, let's say the tens of millions okay a, a couple of tens of millions and it'll get their attention real seriously because these are the a lot of the productive people in the culture and the society and now you go over and start pulling yourself out of their tax system and stuff and that's where it really hurts them right there so what was your question so well, let me say, I think that uh, the Freedom Cell that I'm kind of started being a part of around here is probably uh, on Telegram, is where okay. I initially heard of you. Oh, okay, good. Well, it's getting out. Word's getting out finally. You know, been beating the drum long enough, and finally people are ready to hear. Uh, I think that that's really been part of the obstacle that we've had to uh, get around all these years is that people just weren't ready. The situation wasn't ripe, and I can see that now. I couldn't see it back then. It used to frustrate me a lot, uh, and now I kind of get it in perspective, you know. What part of Texas, Wasey? Uh, Fort Worth. Okay, well, I need to plug you in. You need to drop me an email uh, over there at the radio ranch at uh, mail.com. And because uh, there's several people in your area there that you may want to hook up with. 
uh, Jeff being okay. one of them that uh, was on there earlier that's going to some meeting there in Dallas uh, this morning and uh, has been going there for uh, regular for a couple of months trying to see if he can grab some of these folks here. Uh, we got Mike the Donkey is up there in North America. Jeff's in Plano, by the way. Uh, and uh, Wayne, our buddy Wayne, is over there in East Dallas somewhere. And uh, I've got a particular fl- family friend that I've known their family for a long time uh, that's right there in your backyard in Fort Worth. It's female. So uh, there's several people in your area, and where I can, if people are in a close proximity to each other, I try and at least hook you guys up so maybe you can get something going like Gary's got going out there in Montana. Okay, uh, awesome. Okay, great. Well, um, you, did so you have you another question? Or two? Okay, I'll shut up and let you yeah. ask it. <laughs> yeah, it was um, regards to I'm about to do title and registration on a vehicle. I don't know anything uh, about that. Okay. Well, then... I've got no question there. Okay. Uh, unregistration. I don't know how you go in and unregister it, uh, but we've um, uh, we've had people that got pulled over that had a tag and that didn't have a tag. And both of them ended up the same way with the cop going, well, be careful, have a nice day. And these folks use their passport card as their only ID that they carry. Well, I was planning to do title and registration initially, one time, just to get license plates so that I'm not, like, standing out too much. Right. And then that's basically the extent of it. I didn't know if you had any. Well, our guy, our buddy in Birmingham uh, called in just a couple of weeks ago, and he drives uh, a, a car with no license. we got another guy up in North Carolina that drives a real nice 5 Series BMW with a custom license tag on it that he had made. And um, and then we had a guy in Alabama that drives a car that has a regular license tag on it, an Abilama tag. And uh, the one, uh, I believe his name's Mike, they're from Birmingham, um, got got pulled over in a suburb of Birmingham. Irondale is a suburb of Beeham. And he got pulled over there with no tag. And the cop comes up. He says, well, you don't have a tag on the car. And he goes, yes, sir. Well, it's not a, it's not a, a, a motor vehicle. It's a private conveyance. And so he said, I've got the bill of sale. And the cop wanted to see the bill of sale and showed it to him. And uh, he said, I'm I'm traveling, I'm not driving in my private conveyance, and he gave him his passport card, and the guy went back and checked it, and he came back and said, well, you ought to think about getting some insurance on that thing. See you later. So we've had several of those incidences. Not enough people are brave enough, I think, or have the confidence enough to go out and travel like that, but the ones that have have had no problems. In fact, the guy in North Carolina lives in Winston now. Uh, and uh, he had previously been in Virginia. And it's, this is even more interesting. Uh, he's a black guy named James, and uh, he um, is a retired truck driver, so all this stuff in Canada and around the world has got to be ringing his bell. And um, he uh, had uh, gotten this both in Virginia and North Carolina. He got stopped, and both with the same results. Now, the interesting thing about James is that he went through the copper moonshine still approach on this. Are you familiar with those guys? No. Yeah, there's a group of guys out of Arkansas. I think their their uh, website is coppermoonshinestill.com, something like that. And they've got an approach. He tells you to 
to mark on there that your parents weren't U.S. citizens, and I'm not sure he does something with the birth certificate, and I'm not sure what exactly on their process uh but it's not what we do and he doesn't understand what we do and uh, but evidently they're having and have had some success with that but we're getting a few of their people that want to come in and do this right that's what that guy in ohio uh that i was alluding to a minute ago with his son's situation he was a copper moonshine still guy too uh but the uh, you know the thing the advantage we've got over of anybody else out there is we easily can identify and tell you how they got the feudal system involved in this and that's something I've never run into anybody else's material that they understood or even knew really and as my teacher Glenn Ambort said years ago if you don't understand this is the feudal system you'll never do anything but shadow box with it and I believe for the most part that's true. Yes, sir. Okay, right, Wacey. Well, yeah, hey, it. glad to have you along, man. Please continue to join us when you can, and we uh, love your input and uh, uh, love the new people. The show's really for you, your new folks. There's another one that was right there with you. I wanted to find out if he can get down and unmute, if he's got any questions or whatever. The other guy that was coming on, yeah, is that you? Hey, yeah, that's me. Hey, Roger. My name is Steve. Hey, Steve. Los Angeles. Hey, nice to meet you, Steve. Likewise, thank you for having me. Um, I, I came in, I came to learn about you through uh, John Casera. Okay, my old buddy John. He does yeoman's yep. work. Good, good deal. Yeah, well, so I know you. I know you. I know you've been schooled pretty good. Then correctly. Yeah, I've had a lot of background. Um, you know, been doing my studies over the past few weeks, and you know, I'm interested in sending my notice to the uh, State Department. Good deal. And I had two quick ones for you, if you don't mind. I have about no. ten minutes, and then I got to run to my job. That's fine. Um, so the first one is, and I'm sure you've answered this ad nauseum, but we file cold to the State Department. I already have an existing passport. We wait some time and then put the passport application in. Is I'd say the right yes, and I don't know how to define that sometime. You know, okay. honestly, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how long should I wait? I because I, I, this is all a relatively new development for me. I have not asked people or suggested that people file both ways until recently, uh, simply because of a couple of instances that happened with people where they got theirs rejected. And it got me thinking, and it was a legitimate rejection from what they did. It was a guy north of you up there in uh, San Jose, and he's a naturalized Brit around 2000 and he got over here and got a little rambunctious he got pulled over one night for dui he wouldn't get out of the car and cooperate with the sheriffs they ended up i guess from this is what he told me uh breaking out his windshield or the windows and trying to get him out of there and ended up with him in jail and he did some kind of something and got released on out of jail but he didn't get the charges wiped off and he thought since he was out of jail it was taken care of but the charges were still sitting there with san diego sheriff's department and so when he applied for the passport they ran his information and picked up those existing charges and not only did they reject his passport application and they used two sections of the code of federal regulations okay which is important i'll get back to it in a second but they not only rejected his current application and kept his 110 dollars or whatever it was but they also revoked his existing passport Okay, 
and so uh, which they got every right to do under the code of federal regulations well i understand this enough to know that i forget what what uh, 27 i think they were citing 27 cfr and they cited two uh different sections of that but i understand perfectly well that that only applies to residents and that's what started me thinking if he would have filed one of these cold ahead of time which they can't refuse now he's not a resident and right. now if he wanted to go back and have some grounds to contest their decision he's got some legitimate grounds to contest their decision so i don't know if that's too complex for you or what but no, anyway no, that, ma- that makes total sense i mean i like the idea of sending it in first because i have a, a person I've, I've come to know who he got his passport rejected due to some other you know right you know miscellaneous reason that had nothing to do with his you know status and you know he's still without you know he hasn't kind of gone through the process yet because he got that application rejected right and that's what i tell everybody now file that first maybe wait a week 10 days you know i I don't i don't really have an answer because i don't know but i know that'll be in already and i don't know once they receive one of those the protocol to get it to wherever the administrative records department is and for them to get it filed in your administrative file Uh, those are unknowns to me but i know if it's in the mail that it's considered received already so anyway that's what i'm suggesting if nothing else they get double the amount of affidavits up there and they're going to start looking at them with two sets of eyes instead of one right and did you send certified mail yes certified mail return receipt requested i'd suggest got it well i have one more question if you don't mind okay Um, no go ahead steve so i'm in california we have you know certain state laws my uh my spouse is is somewhat on board trying to talk her over the edge you know she's a little bit concerned about the potential ramifications but the question i have is assuming she does it alongside of me what do we do about our our children they're minors you know they're six years old twins you can you can uh, what what, how do we handle this well you as their parents and guardians can go ahead and 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 i think uh, go go ahead and submit paperwork for them but when they're 18 that becomes their decision and so i think the important part especially for children of that age is to really start educating them correctly like this guy brian had done up in ohio with his 19 year old son see and Mm -hmm. so that's the real nugget to take away for me but you can handle that for them for another 12 years got it so we would do everything the same and i would do it on their behalf as their parents yeah no i think that's right okay hey roger yes gary hold on there's a female there too and we'll get to her in a second yeah gary go ahead well what i told my people last night on the timing is on the cold uh, affidavit was to get on the usps website and when the website confirms that their package arrived at the state department then they know they've received the affidavit that's probably so good, you, that's probably a good suggestion gary good observation so yeah, you were questioning timing i said well that then you know they got it if the usps says they got it right and with and, that return receipt requested there's a number on there and you can track it and, and you'll see when it was received and all that stuff if you don't know that's what gary's referring to makes sense so, thanks gary yep and uh because they're getting real slow on getting the green cards back oh man the people are re- waiting yeah months months right so anyway that's it 
Okay, thank you, Gary. Who was our lady that was trying to get in there a second ago? That was me, Dawn. Hey, Dawn. You're really hey, doing Dawn. good work out there. Your little group seems to be growing, and I'm so happy for you and proud of you. Yay, thank you. Yeah, no, thank um, you. I just wanted to give, uh, I think it was Steve, uh-huh. um, some advice. Is I would just maybe wait a week and then do the passport stuff. Um, Frank, on your show here, his brother had, he told me his brother sent in all of his paperwork. Oh, um, yeah, and about six months later, he went to go try to get his administrative file and it still hit the affidavit still wasn't in the file. So I asked him to tell his brother to request it now. Um, Cause my thought process is they're not, I mean, they're going to get it, but to get it into your file is going to take at least anywhere from three to six months. Yeah, I would say that's probably very accurate, Don, and we just don't know. And of course, they're going to come back. What's this COVID repercussion? Yeah. You know, all that crap. Right. Um, but, you know, again, it's in their system. And if you've got proof it's received, uh, exactly. You, you could also. Um, you could also, Steve, do something like this on your cold affidavit. You may not want to go to this trouble, but you could do a second affidavit of mailing and write in there, I uh, submitted this letter uh, to the State Department with my affidavit, uh, a return receipt requested, and put the number in there and uh, and put all that information and have the notary also notarize that. Okay, and uh, uh, and we were talking about this notary of a notary, and somebody said a notary can't notarize her own statement, and so there's another way to do a legitimate notary is two witnesses. Okay, so if you wanted to go through that route and do that just to have on the side, we we witness this affidavit uh, being notarized and put into this envelope addressed to the State Department with this return receipt requested number, etc., and then get two witnesses to witness that. Then there's another affidavit on top of what your affidavit did, linking it back to the return receipt requested. I know there's a lot of steps in there, and you might want to think that through, but that might be something somebody might want to consider also my testimony is i sent it in all at the same time with the passport and the letter to the secretary of state and i got my passport no problem yeah oh so. good don um how much people are hey don you're you're out in west la right i think we we connected yes. you're putting that group together yeah yes. so we we've uh i think john put us in touch so I look forward okay. to chatting with you more on the side. You have awesome. you have those on Saturdays, Dawn, isn't that right? Yes, Saturdays around four four thirty. Mm-hmm. Great. How many folks are showing up now? Eight or ten? Uh, the first one was about ten people. I think showed up. Um, second one wasn't as much. I think like seven. But uh-huh. then we had a couple, four more on zoom uh-huh. so i'm kind of i'm working through those glitches yeah well it <laughs> takes it believe me it, it takes it takes some time and i understand that but i think you're doing a great service and you're in the west la area you, you just referenced yes. yes okay good deal well we're happy to have you on board and doing that and uh, uh there's a lot of these little groups popping up like mushrooms 
Yeah. Okay, and guys, I got to take hey, off, Don. Thank you. Yes, okay. Okay, was that you, Steve? Roger. Yes. Yeah, that's me, Steve. I'll be checking in frequently. You know, I just, it conflicts with work a little bit, but I'll yeah. be in, in and out. Okay, Steve, Thank you do guys. that. Welcome. Steve, before you go. Yes. Steve, before you go, I'd like to, I'd like to put one thing forward. Identify yourself on the document as the father, not the parent. Parent is legal connotations. You are the father of this child. Children, they're they're twins. Appreciate that. Yeah. Identical twins, Steve, or fraternal? Uh, No, they're fraternal. Six-year-old boys. Okay. (laughs) I'll bet. You got your hands full. Good deal, Steve. Will you continue to stay with us and check in when needed and if you want to? Thank you very much, Roger. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone else. Thank you, man. Nice to have new folks on. Yeah, is is that Samuel? Yeah, hey, got Sam. a question. Okay. Yeah. Um, of course, I filed my affidavit with the State Department years ago because I didn't want to be able to deny when I come back with the passport. But when you give these guys uh, documents to prove, like I've got three birth certificates, um, do you send originals or do you can you send copies? They don't want copies. They want original and they would. Re- uh, they may even require certified. Oh, I hate giving them originals. I've got my black well, birth. Well, what you do, what you do, is you go to the state. Your case would be Wisconsin, right, Samuel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go to Samuel. Go to Wisconsin and go to the uh, Bureau of Vital Statistics or whatever they refer to it up there as, and you should be able to buy a copy of your uh, certified original copy of the one they've got on file, and that's what you send them. I, I think I paid uh, twenty bucks for three of them in Florida, but that was years ago. No doubt's gone up like everything else. But I'd check on that option too. Well, are you supposed to get these things back, or do they keep them? They should send them back to you. <clears throat> okay. Because I'd, you know, I mean, I wanted to be sure that they had plenty of ID so they don't Harvey me. Um, and uh, <laughs> well, we've got would, thank goodness for Harvey's uh, ingenuity. <laughs> we've got the the remedy for that now. Yeah. If you're able to do that, you know, and I think almost everybody would be able to. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about and are new, uh, our buddy Harvey, uh, who sent in his old Marine Corps passport and and, uh, all that stuff, and they still rejected him wanting six more pieces of identification. And so what Harvey did was he took the picture that he was submitting as the picture photo, and he went to a printer, and he had them print up affidavits with the picture at the top and then this person is known to me as uncle harvey since i was born and all that stuff and he sent them like 40 of those things okay (laughs) (laughs) oh harv gotta love harvey you know the 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 you know i've got my certificate of live birth somehow and uh i uh I think what I will do with that one is I won't, because I'm sure the state's not going to give me a copy of that. No, they probably don't have it. Right. So it's probably never I, filed. I think I'll send them a photocopy of that and maybe an original of my birth certificate. There you go. And Check. I have a hospital birth certificate, which I, is the really nice one. That sent, one's a Catholic. You've sent you know, me that stuff in the past. I ran across it looking through a folder the other day, actually. Yeah, it's got my footprints on it. 
all of the weights and measurements, and it's embossed with the gold. See, in the Catholic Church, uh, uh, spend some money on that little document, make make those moms proud. You know, I guess. So, I, guess. Uh, I would check with uh, the Wisconsin Bureau of Vital Statistics and see about getting yourself a certified copy. It's always good to have one of those around, anyway, even though you've got the other ones. The uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is on the registration. If you wanted to re-register it here in California, well, what you could do is sell it to a friend and buy it back. But in California, you pay the fees on what the vehicle is worth, so right. that could get quite expensive. An ad valorem tax, yeah. But you can put it in a non-op status. And that might save you the fees. Well, I know this came originally. This idea came from a listener. You, you used to live out there in the wilds of Texas, way out off the grid, and we called her the Wolf Lady because she raised wolves. Anybody remember her? Anybody mm-hmm. been around long enough to remember her? She was a real piece of work, that gal. And uh, that's how they did it. When she bought her land, she just got a bill of sale from the guy, and they never changed it on the property rolls. And so when they came to pay and charge the taxes to the previous owner, and he goes, well, I don't own that land anymore. And they're sitting there, you know, loping their pud because they got no nothing to do they can do. All right. So anyway, that you could do the same thing with cars too, and other uh, possessions. I would think, but it's just a concept. It was uh, novel to me, and it's something that a listener came up with that evidently works. Roger. Yes, sir. Mike from Birmingham. Hey, Mike. There you are. You showed up again. Hey. Yeah. Uh, I got everything back from my passport. You everything. did. You got affidavit. All documents. Affidavit. Okay. You you see, if you go and for those of you who may not know this, once you've got and submitted a passport application, of course, you're paying them for a service. All right. And so there's a, a site you can go on on the Internet and check the progress of your passport application. And I remember the first time we found out about this and a girl that was uh, antsy because she didn't get it back in 10 minutes. It's, are you wrestling? Are you opening some potato chips or something, Mike? I'm sorry. I'm at work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyway, she was going on there and looking, and uh, she uh, uh, she was sending me the snips from the screen, and it said, your passport, a- citizenship evidence, etc., will be sent to you, a birth certificate, I think, in, under separate cover. So, they say on there that they'll send it back to you, but most people don't get the affidavit back, and if they get the affidavit back... Then they're going, I don't think they accepted it because they sent it back to me, you know, and there's no real consistency from them. So it's hard to nail that down. And when I've got somebody that comes back with that kind of a response, what I tend to tell them is to turn around and send it in as a cold affidavit and just tell them in the cover letter, this may be redundant, but I want to make sure this thing's firmly and permanently in my administrative file. And so at least that gives them a little more peace of mind. But uh, sometimes they do it and sometimes they don't. Mike, yeah. What I've done is I, uh, I digitized everything: copy of my passport card, uh, driver's license when I had it, uh, birth certificate, affidavit, everything. So when I have to send everything out to these uh, assholes, I, uh, I just copy Slavers. them off real quick. Slavers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm about to stick it in their eye again. Good. I ordered a private tag from. 
American lawful traveler. It's black <laughs> and it says private. It says it says non. It says a DOT exempt, non-commercial use. Oh, good. And that's a, what's the website on that? American lawful traveler. American lawful traveler dot com. Yes, I do believe it. Okay. They got two kinds. They got one that's white background with black letters. It says private. Then they got one black with white background. I got the black with the white background. Man, that's and it's good. $34 for two tags, and they're thick aluminum tags. Okay, good deal, man. That's good information. See, since, I, since I own them, they can't steal it off my car. If they do, that's theft. Well, this is, then you can go charge them like you can the Ottawa police for stealing all that yeah, fuel. <laughs> Have you heard about anything that's been going on in North Jefferson County where I'm at, uh, Brookside, Alabama? I have not, Mike. You got anything you want to fill us in on? Yeah, then the last, they went, okay, in 2018, they got a new chief chief of police, right? They were making like $40,000 in fines and uh, and all that stuff, right? They they went to $600,000 this year. Whoa, cha-ching. It's it's been on the news. The chief of police, he quit. Uh, they're supposed to be in Montgomery. They're supposed to be trying to pass a law that stops these uh, pirates and cap their money to 30%. Is it? Go online, go online, anybody, and go search Brookside, Alabama. And you'll see it's been on the news for the last month. Now, is this mainly done through speed traps? Uh, yeah, everything. People have been getting their car confiscated. They're saying they're, uh, uh, they're uh, patrolling outside their jurisdiction. And all that stuff. Huh. Brookside, Alabama. What part? You know, if you look at Birmingham on a map, what, northwest? Uh, it's, it's northwest. Northwest okay. of Alabama. Uh, uh, it's in Justin County. Okay. It's so, on I-20 going towards uh, uh, Mississippi and Tuscaloosa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Tuscaloosa. Towards yeah. Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been a big, even CNN did a big well, story on it. 40000 to 600000 I'm not, my math is sharp enough to get a percentage on that, but that's quite a percentage increase. They went from one cop of twelve hundred people, one cop to ten cops. Now, is this a city council move to try and get more revenue for the uh, town? Uh, no, this is a police chief. Oh, the police chief. They're not doing enough. They're not doing enough patrolling. Well, that's not patrolling. That's speed trapping. <laughs> I mean, they got five federal lawsuits against them. Because of the tactics they've been using. I'll be darned. Well, you keep us up on that, Mike. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it sounds like you it's got... It's been on the news for the last month. Okay, now, as a police chief is not an elected position, it's an appointed no, position. he's appointed by the council. Well, okay, so we can see whose hands are dirty behind this. Yeah, they're, 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 uh, one of the senators from Montgomery is demanding that the, uh, uh, the magistrate, the judge, city attorney, and the mayor to resign. Oh, good. A little corruption up there in Abilama. That sounds really oh, interesting. Oh, yes. And they're not signing. The, the cops are not signing the ticket as their lawful name and badge number. They're signing it as Agent MJJ or something. Oh, so they got a little more icing on the cake, on the fraud and cake. And they're patrolling in unmarked cars and unmarked uniforms. Holy smokes, man. Somebody needs to go in and find out who the rats are at the city council, the county commission. That is the city council or county commission? It be it city. Would, uh, actually, it would be going to the county commission and the, and the uh, uh, sheriff here. Uh-huh. And I sent an email to the sheriff and I says, you're the highest law enforcement. Why ain't you stopping this? 
And I, you've gotten no response, I would imagine. No, of course not. Of course not. Well, cool, Mike. Uh, interesting times we live in. As if the world isn't interesting enough, you got that going on in your backyard, huh? Oh, this cor- Alabama corruption, it's just to the final. Oh, yeah, every, it's everywhere. I mean, it's not indigenous to your area. Uh, you'd like to think it's a little less, uh, if anything, less uh, pervasive there, but it certainly obviously isn't. See, because when I first started this, I was, every time I seen a cop, I tried to go the opposite direction. Right. Now I try to get in their way. <laughs> See, there's there's somebody that's really up on the information, got confidence in what they know, and wanting to be a belligerent claimant. Good for you, Mike. You're a great example. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Okay, all right, man. Uh, who else we got that wants to belly up to the bar here? We've got to have somebody that's stimulated by all this good conversation and stories. I actually have a question. Okay. It's on, it's on again. Otra um, vez. <laughs> so does any, has anyone on here... Um, owned their car and gotten the title from the DMV, and what was the process? You're not going to get the title from them. You know, what they want to give you is a certificate of title. Are you aware of that? Yes. Okay. They are given the uh, the title officially is the manufacturer's statement of origin. I don't think the DMV keeps those things, honestly. I'd be shocked if they do. Uh, And I've been told, as we've had people try and get those documents, uh, that, uh, for instance, I think there was a guy that went to Arizona in a dealership there and had cash. you got to pay cash, okay? And otherwise, you're financing it, and then they get whatever is a collateralized title, see? Uh, but if you're paying cash and you're going to be a, a, an owner and they ask for the uh, 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 statement of origin, manufacturer statement of origin, and the dealership told them, I can't give you that unless you're shipping it out of the country. Now, I can relate to that because in the 80s, I had a friend that was stationed in Germany with the Armed Forces Exchange Service, which gave him all the privileges of military people. And they were able to bring two cars back to the U.S. tax-free per year. And I bought a little BMW over there in the mid-'80s. And uh, I went over and picked it up in Jacksonville, uh, Port of Entry, and uh, drove it back to Atlanta. And I was, you know, still still wet behind the ears and ignorant. And I went to register the car, and they let me keep the manufacturer's statement of origin. I still had it with me. And I, I was looking for something else the other day, and I couldn't find it. So I don't know what's happened to it. But uh, I had that. And then they gave me a certificate of title and a tag. But uh, I don't know how you'd get that from them because I don't think they have it. Hmm. Okay, so if someone uh, just bought a car from another person okay. and needed to do the title change, um, do they well, need to register well, the car? Here's what you first? do. That, well, Mike is, is the expert on that with us here, the guy that was just on from Birmingham, because this is the way he did it. And when he got stopped recently, and the guy says, he said, this is a private conveyance. I've got the bill of sale. And he did a private bill of sale and then never went and registered it. See? And okay. the cop wanted to see the bill of sale. You've got that with you. Here it is. And here's my passport card. I'm not required to have this registered. It's a private conveyance. And what Mike just said was very sage advice on and I don't remember the website that he gave out i hope some of you wrote it down uh where you can go get and order a private tag for your car okay 
and that may be what you want to explore that seems to be the easiest way in in law there's a word for this don and it's called a demur have you ever heard that yes okay well it's a sidestep and this is kind of a demur way of doing that you're not attacking it directly by going and fighting with them you're just sidestepping it and getting around it another way Okay. It's a it's American lawful traveler. Okay, AmericanLawfulTraveler.com. dot com. Probably a good idea for some of you that are messing with this in your private conveyances uh, to have those private tags. I think that sound that look real good. It look very official. It sounds like. Okay. Okay. So who who else has got something they want to ask? This is Mike again. Hey, Mike again. Hey, uh, on that website, they've got packages that you can buy that uh, books and Supreme Court rulings and uh, cameras for your car that you can set up, all kinds of stuff. Okay, cool. Sounds like they've got this little uh, area of information covered. Oh, yeah, little uh, credit card type uh, things where it's got all the Supreme Court rulings and everything. Oh, cool. Now give us that website again. So I hope you are. I know Samuel wrote it down. American Traveler. Okay. Go go ahead. Okay, I thought I'd let everybody no, know. Yeah, please give it to us again, Mike. Would you please, American Traveler? American Lawful Traveler. American Lawful Traveler dot com. Yes, I do believe it's dot com or dot org. No, it's it's actually. Oh, somebody's got somebody somebody's got their mute open and the. And uh, and and the program running in the background. In whoever in is, whoever in is, could you please hit your mute? It's very distracting. Whoever in is, whoever in is, could you please hit your mute? It's very distracting. Okay, thank you, in. Uh, I, why do you listen and come on live and listen and listen in the background too? I don't understand. My apologies, that, that was Nastasha. Oh, hey Nastasha, no problem. Glad you got it. Thank you, sweetie. How you doing? Thanks for the emails this morning. Uh, okay, who's got uh, who's got something else? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, I'm doing okay, thank you. So. Okay, you still got the radio playing in the background. All right. Well, uh, any other? Uh, I think what she was gonna say, yeah, is uh, like the AmericanLawfulTraveler dot com was not working, but when I searched it, uh, I ended up on a site called FreedomFromGovernment.org. dot org. That's it. I'm sorry. That product they have, ah, they have American okay. American Lawful Traveler package. On okay. Ah, FreedomFromGovernment dot com is the correct site. dot uh, org. dot org. FreedomFromGovernment dot org. That's even easier to remember. And they actually have a package, a traveler package. Oh, cool. Uh, See, this Uh, is really picking up steam all over the country. These guys have got to be freaking out. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead, Gary. We'll get to whoever was there in just a second. What, What can we do, Gary? Just to let Don know, if you do a search, and I wouldn't use Google, but you can search up. There's numerous people that's done the process to get the actual manufactured statement of origin from the state. So I don't know where to tell you to go, but I know it's out there because I remember looking into it. Huh. 
You okay. may want to do, uh, Don, you're pretty adept with the computer. You may want to get creative with the search and see what you can come up with. Who was? Uh, who else was trying to say something there a second ago? Roger, that hey, was Roger. me. All right, hold on. Roger, that was me. Mike, was that you? No, I'm Dan. Oh, hey, Dan. Well, I'm sorry. I get these. Sometimes your voices blend. Go ahead, Dan. Dan from Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. I, I put my I put my hip waders on last night, and I went into the swamp of the IRS uh, website. Oh, how much fun can a poor boy have? Oh, uh, well. Anyway, the the one thing that I was reading about, and I was wondering if you could discuss, was uh, they seem to like to talk about renouncing the uh, citizenship and how that's you know that. Un, un, unreversible okay well that is really good and i'm glad you brought that up because it came up in gary's question and answer session last monday and laura lie this real politically active type a lioness out there she was the first one up to the mic and that was her her question she started reading off that document you're not renouncing any citizenship you're switching statuses okay now you were asking yesterday about rents and all that stuff and the fact that i read out the jurisdictional statement at 26 cfr code of federal regulations that's irs 1.1-1a that's their jurisdictional statement there on the top of the first page right and, and i'll just quote it again for folks that may be new an income tax is owed by all individuals who are citizens of the United States and residents, and to the extent of 871B and 877B, all non-resident alien individuals. Well, of course, we go back to our basic rule. There's only two statuses. Yes, sir? Um, A very key distinction. You said uh, who is a citizen and a resident. Now, I have a printout here of the site. It says, Section 1 of the Code imposes an income tax on the income of every individual who is a citizen or yeah resident yeah of the United okay States. and and or because there's residents that aren't citizens and here they're covering both bases okay and that's why if you go to all the other 49 titles of the 50 titles of code of federal regulation their jurisdictional statements residents this is the only one where they got citizens in there okay and the reason before that is on the next page where it comes over and it asks a question. Who is a citizen with a question mark? And the answer is all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to its jurisdiction. There's the 14th Amendment. Okay. So back to 1.1-1A, all citizens of the United States or residents and to the extent of 871B and 877B, all non-resident alien individuals. One of those two sections, and I don't know which one, is the one on renunciation. And if you do renounce your citizenship and change to another citizen now and notice that those are the two sections of constitutional taxes so this is an expatriation like you're doing now i don't think it's renunciation if you're a non-resident alien it applies to you non-resident alien is a national okay that's what we know it as so if you've got this status that you finally acquired that there's only two groups of people in the entire history of the planet 
that have ever had God-given rights, the first 200 years of Rome and the first 200 years or so of our country, who in the hell's going to renounce that? So really, it's kind of moot when you really dig into it, if you understand what I'm saying. Who's going to renounce their God-given rights? And that's what they're talking about there, is then trading your, your, your national status for another country's status. Okay, And that is irreversible. And we've had, uh, as a matter of fact, I guess it does apply to the other, because we've got a listener from Switzerland. And I can't remember his name right now. He called into the show one day. And he went through the expatriation process back in 2016 because he didn't know about us. And he didn't know he could just switch statuses internally. And his problem is that his mother is elderly and he wanted to come back to the States and visit her. And because he had given up his U.S. citizenship, he couldn't get into the country without getting jabbed and he didn't want to take the jab. And so what I suggested that he do, and we haven't heard back from him, is to go to the embassy and accuse them of fraud and non-disclosure because they didn't tell him he could repatriate that he, as opposed to expatriation. In other words, this is something they don't disclose to people. Okay, So there's fraud there, and I don't know if he'd ever be successful because now he's a Swiss citizen, I guess. He's married to a Swiss gal, and uh, he, I don't know about his standing to sue or what the courts, uh, any of these corrupt courts would deal with in that situation. But that's what you're talking about is I guess it does include expatriation, but if you're a national, it applies to you also, which means that nationals could revoke their citizenship. But if you had these God-given rights – that there's only been two groups of people ever issued, why in the hell would you renounce them is beyond me. But, you know, people do stuff that amazes me all the time. So I don't know. But I think that answers your question, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah, basically we are not renouncing. No, you're not renouncing at all. You are just switching statuses internally. And both of them are citizens of the country. One of them is a federal citizen and uh, given that status by the federal government. The other one is a state citizen given that status and their rights from God. And they're both. One of them is a citizen of the United States. That's the federal citizen. And the other is a citizen of the United States of America. That's the national citizen. Hey, Roger. Yes, Gary. Yeah, to expound upon that guy from, I believe, what was it, Swiss, Sweden or Switzerland? Switzerland? It was Switzerland, when, yeah. When he went to, his problem, the reason he did it was because he couldn't get a bank account That's without like, being. I think it was after FACTO came in or whatever that uh, that legislation was when they started doing that all over the world, yeah. But one thing he said was that, as a national, he could have got a bank That's account. That's absolutely correct. And in the original article I saw from, I guess, the Wall Street Journal, and they were talking, and Switzerland was one of the situations, and it was one of these deals where somebody's wife had had her account closed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. It would be very interesting. I would love for him to, if he's listening, I would love for him to send you the paperwork he read to where he could have been uh, got a bank account as well, a national. Uh, this is what I was going to say. It was in that Wall Street Journal article. Down in the article a ways, it said, however, we do have procedures for U.S. nationals. It well, said see, it right I would in love article. that. 
Well, I'd love to have that Wall Street Journal article. Well, I, I, you know, it was years ago. Uh, when I yeah, had to have, when I was in Argentina, and they were originally, I opened up my Social Security account. They were originally sending me checks. But Argentina tightened down and got to the point where I couldn't get them negotiated anywhere in the country. And then I had to go outside to open up a bank account. And I went over to Uruguay. And I, they were going to open me an account, and I told them I was a national and had a copy of my affidavit. But what I had neglected to bring with me, with me was a copy of my lease from Argentina, so I didn't have an address, and they wouldn't open it on those grounds. And that's when I switched and had one opened in the U.S., which was a nightmare, but I got it done. Well, but my point is, if we had that Wall Street article, it'd just be another tool in our toolbox to show people. Yeah. It's a national. Well, I mean, it's specifically for citizens and residents of the U.S. I think that's, is it FACTA? Isn't that the name of that legislation? Yes, FACTA. Excuse me. I still can't get over this Omicron crap. So, well, we're whatever. Not talking, we're not Omicron, we're calling it the chemtrail flu. Whatever, we don't get that down here, but boy, I'll tell you, this stuff is the memory lingers. Um, so good brisk discussion today with some new folks and good questions. Are there anybody else that's gotten spurned by anything we've said here and you wanted to ask or add something? We'd love to hear from you. I love these discussions like this. Hey, yeah, it's Mark. I'll, I'll jump in for Okay, minute. Mark, good deal. All right. Well, it just uh, you know, listening to everybody this morning, you know, ranches are broken up when somebody dies a lot of times. Right? Yeah, right. And uh, I'm thinking it's like, well, okay, if uh, as a U.S. national, you're not uh, required to pay, uh, you know, IRS taxes. I wonder if that also applies to inheritance taxes and those kind of things. I would think that that may be true, that you would be exempt from that. But, again, this is a question I've never had before. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it, it seems, okay. Well, I mean, let's put, let's put IRS taxes. Well, let's go back to their jurisdictional statement. There's only two sections of the code that are specifically mentioned that you have uh, an obligation, and that's 871 and 877B, and neither one of those are inheritance taxes. Okay. One of them is a tax on corporate bonds where the corporation evidently has been given life by the federal government like a railroad corporation. Okay. Yeah. And the well, other it, it, is it, this expatriation renunciation tax. And I believe if there was other sections of the code that you were obligated to, they would have had to have put them in that statement. Okay. Well, that, that, that makes me think that, um, you know, Ron, Ron Gibson is about getting the county off your ass, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm and, not totally and, up on all his stuff, but I think so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good about why don't you bring your land patent forward. And I have not pressed the test. That's my my project here uh, ongoing. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, it would seem that if you're, you're exempt from from the uh, IRS taxes, then, you know, they're the guys that have been 
that collect the inheritance tax and everything, right? Yes, to my knowledge, that's true. Yeah. Huh. Hey, Roger. Yes. Uh, it's Dan again. Yeah, the Dan. Swamp that, the swamp that I was in last night is ecfr.gov. ecfr.gov. And that's where you can uh, wade through all the uh, Title 26 Internal Revenue. And, and the one thing that uh, got me... Ma- masochist. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I told you I have a thick skull. <laughs> um, the the one thing that's a mystery to me is they talk about Section eight seventy one B or eight seventy seven B. So I was able to find eight seventy one B in this swamp, but I couldn't find eight seventy seven B. It jumped. From eight seventy six to eight seventy nine. So, <laughs> well, you know, I hate reading that stuff worse than anything in the world, really. And I'm going to tell you a story about it in just a second. So, when those came up one day, what I did was call Glenn and I said, "Glenn, what are these two sections, eight seventy one and eight seventy seven? And Glenn's pretty adept at that kind of stuff. Uh, have you ever heard of a program, Dan, called Grammar Tech? It was around. In the early days of computing back in the 90s. You ever heard of that? No, sir. It was one of these uh, 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 grammar, like it said, grammar tech. It was a, uh, you could take what you'd written. This before all these word processors started getting all that stuff bundled in it, everything, you know. And it was a standalone program. Somebody told me one time, I remember that it was, uh, uh, the program was written under federal grant. Okay, And so you could take what you'd written and run it through Grammatech, and it would correct your grammar and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of the attributes that it had was that you could take what you, you could take something and run it through there, and it would tell you what grade level it was written at. Okay? And the three sections that the IRS loves to throw at people, if any of you have had any contestation with these bastards you probably are familiar with these 6001 6011 and 6012 have you heard those cited by irs before dan no well they like to cite those when they're messing with you you know and so somebody took those sections and ran them through grammar tech do you know what grade level they're written at Doctor, one of them was grade level 31 or 32 and the other was grade level 33 or 34 so whatever whatever you get a degree at at that level that's the level they wrote this code at now i would also invite you 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 heard us originally on thumper did you hear the show when we were going over the uh, document historical document woodrow wilson's repudiation of dollar diplomacy have you ever heard us talk about that uh i probably heard it but i'd have to go back and listen okay again. well you I can go you, do you listen to what i listened to the halloween show yesterday oh what you, is that interesting or what fascinating yep okay uh, a lot of meat there that was the that was the accumulation of both john and glenn's life's work was that what you heard in that two hours yesterday and there's virtually nobody else on the face of the earth on our side that knows that stuff like me and Glenn, quite frankly. And uh, anyway, and I'll get back to this because I wanted to continue on your question yesterday. Uh, and uh, uh, if, I, if I hadn't forgotten already what I was going to say, yeah, I, I wanted to tell you about what happened with Glenn. Um, so uh, you can go look up this document. You can search it up. It's 
It's titled Woodrow Wilson, Repudiation of Dollar Diplomacy. And it was early in Wilson's presidency, and he's saying a, a consortium of bankers came to him and asked him to co-sign this loan to China. It's got some even modern implications, too, by the way. And so he turned it down, and he gives the reasons in his statement there of why he turned it down. And he said part of it was the taxation method that could go to the very heart political heart of china itself which was a tax system you're gonna love this language dan which is antiquated and burdensome does that feel like what you read last night antiquated and burdensome and burdensome for sure and administered by foreign agents so there's your cookie cutter for their blueprint and the reason they wanted wilson to co-sign that document was because they wanted to use the military to go in and force collection of the taxes. Okay, now when Wilson didn't bite, must have, they they didn't have their hooks in him that deep, I guess yet. And so uh, they went ahead and they made the loan to the Chinese, a hundred million bucks, around the turn of the last century. The Chinese never paid one penny on the debt this is back to ways that are dark never paid one penny of the debt they were a real shaky culture okay and um so now when england gave hong kong back to china a number of years ago part of the requirements of that transition was china had to pay the english bondholders on this bond issue and they did okay and then that left the americans with 20,000 people in the u.s that hold these bonds and i know that because the the gal that's the head of the bond agency in the u.s there's a bond organization and she said look we swap bond sovereign bonds and swap debt all the time it's nothing unusual i saw her on epic times twice back when epic times was still on youtube and um she said, I have met with President Trump. He knows about this. And see, you just is how powerless Trump was up there, okay? Because he could have taken, there's no chance that those 20,000 bondholders, U.S. bondholders, are ever going to get a penny out of China on this, okay? They're never going to see a dime on it, all right? And now that total of just the American bonds is 1.7, it's probably $1.8 trillion now, which is more than we owe China in debt. So what Trump could have done if he had control of the country, he could have gone out and offered these 20,000 bondholders five or ten cents on the dollar. It's more than they're ever going to get otherwise. Bought those bonds and then given the Chinese back their own bonds they weren't going to pay every month as a debt payment. So all that, and uh, I was shocked when I saw that on TV because I knew about this repudiation of dollar diplomacy because it was the first document I ever found uh, in, in the library when I started researching this, okay? 
So uh, you might want to look into that. It's very interesting, burdensome, and antiquated. Um, When John and Glenn were writing their tax book, Dan, they came across this quote by this really, really popular, famous senator in the late 40s. He was so popular, he resigned from the Senate for some reason, and his fellow senators wrote a letter and resoundingly begged him to come back, and he came back. And I don't remember his name. Uh, but he was uh, going to run for president. Somebody wanted to run him for president. He was of that caliber. And um, he was chairman of what was then the Senate Had a Ways and Means Committee. And his statement was, every year we get the Treasury folks over here and we're trying to get them to simplify the tax code. And they go back to the Treasury, and every year, and this was his exact wording, this is so words framed so wonderfully, he said, every year they bring us back something that only Solomon and all of his wise men could interpret. <laughs> and I always link that back to burdensome and antiquated, uh, because obviously it's, it's doctored up like that on purpose, Okay. And, uh, and here they put the jurisdictional statement on the first page, and everybody's going through all this gobbledygook like you're going through last night trying to get an answer that even if they had the answer in front of them, they're probably never going to understand it, and they've already missed the jurisdictional statement on the first page, which they didn't understand even if they read it, which shows you're exempt from all that crap. So it's a, it's a mel of a hess, as, as we used to say. Let me uh, finish up uh, where I was yesterday on your question, and I wanted to tell you and personally thank you for asking that question about John and Glenn's background yesterday because we don't give them anywhere near enough credit here because we just don't have time, quite frankly. Uh, I, I, these are the two great men whose shoulders I stood on to accomplish what we've accomplished and what we're all partaking of drinking at the fountain of truth right now okay you know had it not been for both of them really uh i wouldn't have had that opportunity and i would have never been able to do this on my own ever okay Uh, and so after john died glenn was still carrying on his work and this was back when i was doing programs with al adisk every week on wednesdays and Al had a guy, a friend that he knew, named Michael Ellis. Somebody said they heard that show on here the other day. This found it somewhere uh, with Michael Ellis and myself. I don't remember it particularly, but I do remember the shows with Al. And Michael Ellis was one of these guys that had gotten all of the IRS manuals. Have you ever messed with one of those, Dan, an IRS internal manual? Okay. No. Uh, well, you just hadn't lived. Okay. Uh, well, this goes into all the things they do internally. Okay. And they're very complex. They're just reams and reams of these three ring binders of this crap. And so Michael Ellis had become an expert on that. So he knew the internal procedures very well. And after we met through Al Haddisk, and I turned him on to Glenn, who had all this information on the system and the way it operates. And those two got together, and now they had the answers. Okay, And they found a doctor in San Diego who they were going after for failure to file. 
and they found a law firm that was willing to put this information in and act as his uh, legal representation and glenn wrote all the process and everything and so they got into court and they went through the district court i think he said they had a female judge they went through the district court and they found the guy guilty and they appealed it to the ninth circuit and i think they found him guilty there too but what the problem was is this is what glenn told me afterwards he said roger said the problem is it's so damned complex that not only can the jury not understand it the judge can't understand it either and the roadblock that they hit that they couldn't get around was called push code 09 now you heard me refer to that in that talk you listened to yesterday because i know it's in there okay right yes okay for the audience push code 09 even in discovery and interrogatories which they had in this trial with the failure to file guy doctor they the government would not come off of push code 09 they didn't care what they did how much pressure they put on they could not get them to come off of what push code 09 is and bring it forward push code 09 is the code that they use internally so you have to understand that the computer system in i think it's called martinsburg west virginia is the head irs office in the country and it's in martinsburg west virginia where the main computer is that does all the processing and the computer is programmed correctly and it knows that it can't move forward until it's got a 1040 or what we accurately refer to as a statute staple contract until it's got a statute staple contract on file it gets to a point and it can't move forward because that contract's got to be there okay and so this is where push code 09 comes in and they push 09 and it stops the process and at that point the an agent whoever it may be uh puts what they call a substitute for return in sfr and we refer to them in the community the tax community as a dummy return okay because a dummy puts it in there but push code 09 stops the computer process that statute staple 1040 form dummy return substitute for return is inserted now the computer sees that one of these has been filed and it can go on to assessment that's where they put in whatever they have assessed that you owe and all that stuff that goes on the assessment rolls it rolls on to collection and tax court and all the other options down the line but that's the process dan as ugly as it is mm-hmm. and they would not they in fact after they really pushed them for it the department of justice put out a national moratorium on anybody bringing up push code 09 you can't even bring it up in any district court in the united states that's how they play See, once again, that's what makes what we do here so damned effective is they can't stop this. They can play with all that other stuff internally. They can pull all their tricks. They can't do anything with this but stand mute, and that's what makes it so damn powerful. Hey, Roger. Hey, Gary. Hey, just 
give a little background there, people need to understand that the Department of Justice was turned over to the IMF. Yeah, the same time the Treasury was in 33. They did the Treasury. You can find it in the United States Code. There's a statement in the 28, I believe. 28 is Treasury, I think. And it says right there, the Secretary of the Treasury is the governor of the fund. It just says it one line. But they hid the Department of Justice turnover in a treaty somewhere. And the only reason I know that is from this guy I alluded to the other day, John Nelson, who hadn't had much of a high profile for a long time, but is one of the better researchers in our community. Well, I'm just wanting people to understand that uh, one of the reasons we don't get any decent stuff out of the Department of Justice is because they work for the IMF. That's exactly right. Even when uh, Bob Barr was up there, something came along on one of these controversies and said, well, we had to make that decision on internal Department of Justice policies. We didn't elaborate on it. What what are those internal policies? Oh, you have to do the bidding of the IMF. Those policies. Well, unless who's under the Department of Justice? Well, FBI. FBI, and man, you can really see why the corrupt goes on there. Uh, Also, I believe, I believe BATF is over under Justice, too. They may be under Treasury. They may be under Treasury, okay? I thought they were under Treasury. They may be. But the Treasury's under the IMF, so what the hell? Well, yes. You got, them, you got them either way, coming and going. That's why you start connecting these dots, it's it all adds up. Well, I would say and that now that I think about it, they are under Treasury, Gary, because their real official duties are for alcohol and tobacco, and those are legitimate taxes. The firearms have been thrown in there uh, over and above uh, because anybody that's a national doesn't have any of these firearm restrictions on them. Well, let me connect another dot. Uh, Jim Traficant's speech, which is going around our community for a little bit, if you go to fourth, the fourth page, he specifically says that nonprofit organizations have been pledged as the collateral, too, for the bankruptcy. Well, what nonprofit organizations are we talking about? Well, how about the FDA and the FCC and the FBI? And Those are nonprofit organizations. You ain't talking black lives matter or your local church well they're also even more technically their agencies okay so I yeah I, I i guess agencies and organizations may be interchangeable i'm not sure so yeah i vocabulary anything could be there they could nonprofit organizations could be a martian i just you know i just uh, i i personally am so glad to be re- removed from them and i know many of you are are, are glad to be, have done that also and some of you that are contemplating it or frothing at the mouth to get it done short question hey is that mike our donkey boy oh, always the donkey always <laughs> behind okay the, the short question is there is a reference from the IRS collections that designates uh, someone or some entity as uncollectible, would that be equal to a nine by any chance? Uh, I doubt if it would. Because you've got it in collections, they have the right to deny you, I would think, Mike. I don't, of course, know the exact answer to this. I'm just suppositioning. But that would give them an excuse whether it's collectible or not makes no difference. It's in collections. Now, you should know, and I don't remember where I heard this, 
but heard it fairly recently that a third of the taxes that they come up with every year are uncollectible. So a third are uncollectible. A third of what they collect goes to or part of the, let's see if there's a third that's uncollectible that's charged a third of what they get another third goes to pay overhead salaries rents because they don't get in government buildings they have to go rent their own facilities and everything because they're private and a third goes to the uh, bondholders to pay the debt currently reading a book which goes into the history written by this federal judge that says the irs has no traceable origin official it's a ghost organization and it's not in the statues at large at all and you can't trace it up through the codes i guarantee you that's true Roger? is that was that stamper mike is that, uh, yes, I'm going through that in very detail. It's a good handbook to refer to. Yeah, well, Samuel's big uh, uh, proffer of that. He's always talking about it. Yes, yeah, Samuel, what do you want to add? I may have found something for our Commonwealth country friends. Remember Paul English and you thinking that you can get him back to his status as a as a common law man well you, i think that it's got to be in every country of the world because it's fraud but what have you got to say because i'm kind of interested in well it. i was looking up how to how to get a certificate of live birth and there are, there looks like there's remedies for that online now when i did that i came up with a website that says that if you in a common uh, commonwealth country if you file a certificate of live birth and they have a form that you go back to your common law status. And that's what I think that John Smith's common law birth certificate does, too. It probably uh, uh, acts just like a, a certificate of live birth. And what it's doing overall, I believe, is anything that rebuts the presumption and exposes the fraud works. And that's what I think John Smith's common law birth certificate does. And from what you're reading right there, it sounds like that's what a certificate of live birth does, too. It exposes the fraud, and it rebuts the presumption, and you're home yeah. free. In this, in this country, the certificate of live birth is generated by the hospital. From what I read, you know, who knows if it's accurate or not. Well, that, 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 is, that is done by the hospital to to it's like an application and then the powers that be give you back the birth certificate um, based on that information uh, so so when you're making this application in a common law country you're basically applying for i would say a new birth certificate um also for anybody then we had a girl gal on here last week nicole and her seen her since heard from her but that was one of her deals was one of her good friends is pregnant and uh they didn't i told them about the hospital and all that stuff and some of you may remember that conversation the one that i know that had a certificate of live birth and i don't think the hospital did it was tom Schramm, okay with his son joshua 
uh, we were living up there north of Atlanta, up in the mountains in that uh, Bent Tree. I wasn't in Bent Tree, but they had a house they were renting up there, and that's where the child was born. And so yep. he had the certificate of live birth, and he tried to get a passport for Joshua, and I, he never could get it out of the State Department. I think Tom had muddied the water so much, I don't know what all the problems were, and he refused to go. You know, Tom's one of those, I'm not going to go to them to get their permission. They don't have that right. You know, that kind of an attitude and i was trying to get and still love to see somebody contest them and go up there and file something in the court u.s court of claims because we've got an indication that the u.s court of claims is the only common law venue left in the country you know they can't get rid of this stuff totally they got to have at least one and there's a lot of exceptions that revolve around the u.s court of claims and i remember hearing the guy from uh, nevada uh, and I can't, uh, Wayne Haig, who had won his case at the Supreme Court against the Bureau of Land Management posthumously, and in one of his videos, he made that statement. It's where I first got the idea that he said, our research has found that the U.S. Court of Claims is the only common law court left in the country. And I tried to get Tom to go and take his case up there and file it against the State Department to get a passport, and he wouldn't do it. So we don't know, okay? Hmm. But what was interesting yeah, I, about that, sure. now this is what was interesting, because the, the, because he didn't have a birth certificate, state kept saying go to Vi- Georgia Vital Statistics, and they went back, and that year that Joshua was born was a, was a census year. And the census taker came to the house, and they picked up Joshua's birth in the census you know, my certificate of live birth is definitely either a county or a state document. It's not the hospitals. Yeah, it's not the hospitals, but somebody else does it. I'm not sure what the protocol on that, but what I was going to add is you could go and put it in the family Bible, and it would suffice also. And let me just plug Brent. Brent has gone back to his winterized version, his translation of the Bible, and put those pages in there because he didn't have them on there before we were talking about it one day. I'll, I'll try to forward you that website, and then maybe you could get it to Brent and get his. Cause it's called commonlaw.earth, I think. And then record uh, forward slash record of of live birth. Why don't you try and come on Friday and mention it to him live, and and he can discuss it because that may be, be even nice better. To get it. Nice to get it in his hands prior to just blowing it on him because okay. he have some time to take a look. Well, go but, over. Bet you could forward it to me. I'll forward it to him. But you know, Brent is. Uh, going in eight ways from Dallas. I'm not sure how thoroughly he checks his email and stays up on it, but you, we can try it that way. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, I'm using these new uh, uh, search engines, and they all have different buttons to push to try to do documents. And I, I didn't see one on that right off, or I would have already sent it to you. Okay. Just so you know, his assistant is very responsive. Oh, Brent. Yeah, Brent's assistant's very responsive. I don't know. I don't even have any idea. Was that Sue? That's probably Sue's his wife. Joy. Oh, Joy. Well, I don't know who that is. Might be one of his daughters. I don't know. Thank you, Nastasha. We're lucky. We're really lucky to have. uh, uh, You know, honestly, it was one of these act of gods of of mine and Brent's paths crossing so many years ago, and this bond and this relationship we've been able to form over so many years of doing these shows. 
and uh, it's really rewarding. I feel very, very solid about that and very grateful. He's a hell of an attribute, I can tell you that, to have on our side. Uh, you so, know, in the, in, in, go, in go the country here. with the birthplace of the common law, you it would make sense that this is how they originally did it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, I've got a line into uh, Jeff Rents. Uh, last night I was listening in the first hour. He starts talking about new guests and and what to do and he said i can't a lot of times i want to get somebody on i can't get their uh, contact information or whatever so i wrote up a, a nice email and included the tom d interview and that history of taxation and i shot it to andy overnight and andy hitchcock because i know he respects andy i've heard him mention his name on the air before and he's responded to things andy sent him so i asked andy if he would try and get that to rents and he forwarded my email to him uh he wrote me back this morning now i'm going to ask you guys i'm going to give you rents email address here okay and if you want to drop mr rents an email and you can say i don't care uh, untying the gordian knots which is the title i used on what i sent him this morning or uh escaping the matrix or roger sales information and whatever you want to put in there probably short and sweet on how it's affected you or however you feel and if you got a pencil and paper or you want to type this in this is rents address that i've heard him give out on the air contact rents contact rents at earthlink.net contact rents at earthlink.net and if you want to follow up on that maybe we can put a few emails in his mailbox i've sent him something to that address this morning andy has forwarded him what i sent him last night at whatever address he has for jeff which is probably not that one and this afternoon i'm going to try and get a hold of bob greska again uh who is uh, uh, on a regular basis uh uh, over there with Jeff, and he's also the guy that uh, turned Jeff on to Erica Kahn. And so I know uh, he's very, very uh, responsive to um, to Mr. Greska. So we'll see if we can get uh, the information out. But tonight I'm going to be on RBN with Tom D. And next week will be two days at the end of the week on with uh, Brighton. And the week after that, I've got another uh, follow-up interview with Andy. And so uh, we're starting to make some progress. If we can get, uh, I think as Eileen was working on True News, uh, we'll see if Jim White can get Mike Adams here. And if we can maybe make some inroads into Jeff Rents, we're making some uh, substantial progress around here. Uh, And as we know, people are wanting information like this now and looking for answers and i don't know anybody else in our entire community that's got an answer as powerful as we've got for these guys if we can bundle up some folks together uh and get some numbers getting behind it it's even more impactful on them especially at this time when they got to be spinning like bull in the circle quite honestly uh jimbo you right there ready to take over bud because we're about to get knocked off 
You bet your bippy. All righty. Well, I knew you would be, and happy to have you there. And we'll transition real seamlessly, and we'll be back tomorrow and uh, see what goes on Twix now and then. It's a very good show, very active, very responsive, and a lot of you guys uh, asking good questions. And I thought the conversation was real solid. So thank everybody that listened and communicated with us, and we just got knocked off. So it's your ball game now, Mr. Jim, and I'll try and get with you later. 